It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. Las Vegas, happy Friday. It is PTL time, and I am so glad you are joining us on this kind of chilly, cloudy day in the valley today. But we made it through the week, and uh, we got a fun weekend coming up. Well, at least I do. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys will have time to go to Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know, but uh, I got I got a fun weekend lined up. Gonna be doing some fun stuff. Hopefully, you all are too. Hopefully, we're all gonna have a good time. I'm not going to get too crazy in the studio today. Sometimes people get crazy in this studio. I'm not going to be jumping, doing jumping jacks or screaming or yelling. I'm Come not, on, buddy. No, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll take my shirt off for no, you. But that's no, it. no. It's Friday. It's fun Friday. No, that, that, that won't be fun for you? Okay. No. Yeah, you and a lot of other people, that wouldn't be a lot of fun for. Trust me. Anyway, we got a lot to get to today. A lot to go over. We got some great guests. Some of my favorite guests, by the way, are coming on the show today. Scott Gobernson at the bottom of the hour. Uh, talk a little Raiders football. There are these stories. A story came out on Sports Illustrated saying that Mark Davis is poor. Well, sort of. I mean, that he doesn't want to get rid of Josh McDaniels because he doesn't have any money. I don't know if there's any validity to that. I'm just saying that's what the article said. So Scott will join us from Silver and Black today at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about the Raiders issues. And, you know, I was at the Knights game yesterday and I was having some conversations with some local members of the media. And there's a lot of drama going on behind closed doors with the Raiders. We'll talk about that with Scott. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, yeah, Vegas Golden Knights had a nice win. Guess who we got our number two? Man, I love having this guy on. Fresh off of a $3 million win in a poker tournament. This guy's a wizard at the poker table. Phil Helmuth. No, not Phil uh, Helmuth. Okay. No, not the poker brat. He's a wizard too, but not a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to hockey. Uh, also a guy I don't want to see with his shirt off. Uh, but uh, not that I want to see Daniel Negreanu with his shirt off either. I'm just saying... Um, Real Kid Poker himself, Daniel Negrano, will be joining us. A lot to get to with him. We'll probably talk a little bit about the midterm elections with him, too. We get into politics with him a little bit. Phil Kessel yesterday, it was 1,000 games in a row. I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment. And Daniel Negrano is uh, close friends with Phil, so we'll talk to uh, Danny about that. Talk a little VGK hockey with him. And uh, the cheating scandal in poker, is that kind of going away or is it still there? We'll, we'll get to all that stuff with Danny, Danny Negrano coming up uh, in our number two. You know, it's interesting because I was having uh, some political conversations, which I try not to do off the air very much, sometimes on social media. But when I have political debates with people off the air, it usually doesn't go very well. You try to? I try. I try not to. I, I try really, all the time doing it. But I don't like it. I don't I like I don't like it. It frustrates me. Like, I don't like having political conversations. First of all, it's my job. And it's like. You know, it reminds me of a scene in, in Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David is in like a locker room at a golf course and he's, he's told that the Lakers team doctor's right there. So he says, Hey, doc, can I ask you a question about this mole I have or blah, blah? And the doctor goes, Yeah, just make an appointment at my office and, and I'll do it for you. Uh, and then, and then he keeps asking him. The doctor goes, Do I, do I ask you to write free stuff? Like, <laughs> cause it was just really a really funny scene. It just, I don't like doing it. You know, I don't really don't, usually I don't like talking politics off the air, but, 
I was having some nice conversations with some friends of mine yesterday, and we were thinking, whoever wins the presidency, does it really affect your life? And I said, for the most part, it really doesn't, for the most part. You know, I remember back when it was Al Gore running against George W. Bush, would it really have made a a huge difference in my life if Al Gore won? I mean, maybe not. Obviously, we, we wouldn't have had the war in Iraq and a lot of different things would have happened. Would it, would it really have impacted my life? Probably not. And I think a lot of these presidencies, I'll think of Obama versus McCain or Obama versus Mitt Romney. I don't feel like like my life would have been dramatically changed if uh, something like that happened. I really don't. But what I really say to myself when it comes to these elections and when it came to 2016 and 2020, I say yes. I say the presidency can impact my life and has. And I believe in 2024, it'll be the same. Uh, If Donald Trump wins the presidency, which I do not believe he will, compared to a Democrat on the other side, yeah, it can change your life. Republicans remain in power, it will change your life. How? Why? Well, just a couple things. A woman's right to choose, for starters. Your taxes. There's many things on the table that are really, really important right now, but I find this very interesting, folks. Republicans took the House yesterday, and the first 24 hours that they took the House, what did they do? Were they prioritizing gas prices? Were they prioritizing inflation? No. They've been complaining about that for years, right? The gas prices, inflation. They finally took the House, and what were they talking about? Well, they held a press conference yesterday. Here's how that press conference went down, and here's what they wanted to talk about. Have a listen to this. That's what we're going to focus on. If, if we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, that would be great. Yeah, 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 go. I just wanted to take you back. She said, January 6th, just what's your plan to do with the January 6th investigation? I think that's a question. I think that's a question for Kevin McCarthy. That We're focused on uh, a lot of investigations now. I've been very transparent with the media on it. Uh, that wasn't one of them, but uh, uh, yes. Now, so they don't want to talk about January 6th. What do House Republicans want to talk about on day one? It's not gas prices. It's not inflation. It's not how to put more money in your pocket. It's not about health care. House Republicans want to talk about a private citizen in Hunter Biden. That's what they want to do. Oh, well, Brian, the Democrats, they, uh, Donald Trump, uh, look at all these investigations. Really? Were they investigating one of Donald Trump's kids? House Democrats? Is that what they were doing? No, they were not. If you want to investigate Joe Biden because you think he broke the law, then go right ahead. This is Joe Biden's son, a private citizen, and they still want to talk about his laptop. Oh, and by the way, that's not all they wanted to talk about. They will also be investigating the treatment of January 6th prisoners. Yep, that's right. Crazy. They don't want to investigate January 6th and figure out how our democracy was attacked and almost overthrown and how 140 officers were injured. They don't want to investigate how people were killed that day. 
They don't want to investigate why and how it happened. What House Republicans decided that they want to do in a leak is they want to investigate the treatment of January 6th prisoners. Those same prisoners, many of them, who attacked police officers, defecated on Nancy Pelosi's desk, destroyed property, they want to investigate how those people are being treated. That's what the House Republicans want to do. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's laptop. Are these the people that you want representing you? Nothing about crime and inflation. You know, they want to talk about crime too. How are you going to handle crime? What are you going to do? Nothing. Nothing. Jim Jordan spent the last two years complaining about gas prices. He whined about inflation. Viciously accusing a 10-year-old Ohio rape victim of lying about being raped. He dedicated his post-election speech to propagating Russian disinformation about Hunter Biden. Republicans wasted no time establishing that their priorities aren't inflation, they're not crime, they're not gas prices, or even the border, quite frankly. It's continued investigations into Hunter Biden, who's a private citizen. Despite already spending four years investigating him. I'm sorry, folks, but in this day and age, for the most part, Voting for Republicans is voting against your best interest. You don't believe me? Take a look at what they did on day one yesterday, if you don't believe me. It's disgusting. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what else to say. This is what the Republican Party stands for today. And sadly, I have to tell you that Lauren Boebert did win re-election in Colorado. Barely, by like under a thousand votes, her opponent conceded. And this was a really close election. I don't know how any of you can vote for somebody like that. How could you vote for a Jim Marchant? How could you vote for an Adam Laxalt? How could you vote for a Sigel Chatta? Now, luckily they lost, but I am mesmerized at the amount of votes they got. Oh yeah. And then there's Donald Trump. Now I have something I'd like to play for you. And uh, it's a brand new Donald Trump campaign ad. And in this campaign ad, uh, maybe it's a little bit of a preview for what we're going to see in 2024. Keep in mind, Donald Trump just announced the other day that he is going to be running for president, which I don't think is a I don't think is a shocker for really anybody. Anyway, this is Donald Trump. This is his new campaign ad. Uh, and uh, tell me what you think. Here you go. This is Donald Trump campaign. Six years ago, Donald Trump started a movement. We will make America great again. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. He brought this country together. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. He brought class and respect back to Washington. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, I don't remember. Losing is never easy. Not for me, it's not. CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States. We will never concede. And we're going to the Capitol. In 2024, he's going to do it again and lose the popular vote for the third consecutive time. In 2024, 
the loser loses again. <laughs> if I lose to him, I don't know what I'm going to do. I will never speak to you again. Trump 2024. The loser loses again. <laughs> By the way, those are from the good liars. They're very, very funny guys that uh, pull pranks on politicians, and they they have some great videos, and they're and they're really funny. I mean, a lot of that stuff is true, though. Think about that for a moment. Donald Trump lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton; wasn't even close. Lost the popular vote to Joe Biden. There's a reason for that, and there's also a reason why we have the Electoral College. It's so Republicans can cheat. You want to talk about Democrats cheating. That's why we have the Electoral College. If we didn't have the Electoral College and the presidency was by popular vote, a Republican would never win. Isn't that what voting should be all about? It should be about who gets the most votes. I don't even understand why we have the Electoral College. It's ridiculous. What does it matter where you live? It shouldn't matter whether you live in New Hampshire or L.A. It shouldn't matter whether you live in Connecticut or Boston or Oklahoma What does it matter what part of the country you live in? Your vote should matter just as much as somebody that lives on the other side of the country. But we have the Electoral College. If we didn't have the Electoral College, Donald Trump would have never been our president to begin with. This should be about the popular vote. That's what this should be about. It should be about the popular vote. It shouldn't be about the Electoral College. But anyway, I digress. And Donald Trump had his speech uh, the other day, and uh, it bored Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram so much, even they cut out of the speech. We learned that there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people that were trying to leave the speech early, and security wouldn't let them leave the facility until the speech was over. That's how boring Donald Trump's speech was the other day, is that people were trying to leave midway through. There weren't a lot of people that showed up to this speech at Mar-a-Lago, I'll tell you that, and they couldn't even leave because it was boring. Now. I would rather have a boring person that doesn't lie every day and doesn't attack people every day. But we know that Donald Trump can't stay on script. We know that. You know, here's a guy that uh, I miss. I got to be honest with you. I love Keith Oberman. I'm a big Keith Oberman fan. I always have been. I loved him on SportsCenter. I really liked him on MSNBC. I don't understand why they signed Rachel Maddow to anything. I don't like Maddow. I think she's actually boring. I don't like Maddow. I don't like a lot of the people on MSNBC, but I thought Keith Oberman was very entertaining and very funny, and I really enjoyed his show. So let's get the take from Keith Oberman himself. This is what Keith Oberman thought about Donald Trump's speech. If a Trump falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear, does it make a sound? God, what a terrible speech. And don't take my word for it. Mick Mulvaney trashed it. Two of Trump's press secretaries trashed it. It was so bad, Ivanka Trump left politics during her own father's announcement he's running for president again. Seriously. It was so bad, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram dumped out of live coverage of it. No, wait, it was worse than that. CNN dumped out of live coverage of it. It was so bad, Republicans continue to actually concede they've lost their races. Plus... Bill O'Reilly returns to the worst persons in the world. And the day MSNBC tried to make its least respected anchor the network's new general manager. And Trump or death, your offer is accepted. All that and much more on the Wednesday Countdown podcast now available wherever you get your freaking podcasts. (laughs) It's a great podcast, by the way. Keith Olbermann is awesome. He's very, very funny. Look, folks, I'm not making this stuff up. What do House Republicans want to do? Do they really, are they really looking out for you? No, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what their agenda is. I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. I'll go through these piece by piece. What are House Republicans doing? What is tops of their priority list? They want to talk about the pullout of the Afghanistan. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. 
Donald Trump had the same pullout plan. If you don't believe me, well, maybe he didn't have a pullout plan with with a few of his ex-wives, but that's another story for another show. As far as the pullout plan in Afghanistan, same thing as Joe Biden. He wanted everybody, he wanted everybody out of there. If you don't believe me, ask Mr. Bolton, who was working underneath him. They had the exact same plan. So if you're so if House Republicans want to go after Joe Biden for the pullout in Afghanistan, you got to go after Donald Trump too. Of course they won't do that. One life lost is too many with our brave men and women. There's no question about that. I understand that. But find me a war where we withdrew and nobody lost their lives. Sadly, we're going to have casualties. It's terrible. Could it have been worked out better? Should we have kept some troops there? Yes, probably. But House Republicans aren't going to want to talk about all the soldiers that died in Afghanistan under Donald Trump's watch. Oh, no, they don't want to talk about that. But I got an idea because that's what these House Republicans are. They're despicable. Let's use these deaths of these soldiers as political pawns. Boy, that's great. Their families must be really happy about that. That's what House Republicans are doing now, and that's what they're going to do down the road. They want to talk about border policies being overseen by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. All right, let's talk about border security. Was everything fine and dandy under Donald Trump? You might say, well, Brian, more illegals are crossing the border under Joe Biden. Okay, what about those who overstay their visas? Did we not have any drug issues or drug smugglers crossing the border under Donald Trump? Of course we did. We also had families being separated from their kids in cages. But it's interesting. House Republicans didn't really, they don't really want to talk about that. It's only Joe Biden. It's been a crisis at the border for decades. If you don't be, believe me, look it up yourself. It's not something that just happened under Joe Biden. So what are their solutions? All I hear is we're going to finish building that border wall. Well, interesting. I thought we were going to build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Wasn't Donald Trump campaigning on that? That didn't happen. And if we have a border wall, we're still going to have the same issues we have now when it comes to immigration. Drugs are still going to be smuggled. There's no question about that. And we're still going to have a plethora of people that overstay their visas. So they could uh, check the, the policies of the Homeland uh, Security Secretary. It's not going to change anything. More money going to waste. They want to check the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. Don't we already have the origins? Don't we know that it happened in a Wuhan lab? What is that going to change anything? Oh, of course, they also want to look into the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. They don't care whether Donald Trump stole, and that's what he did, top secret classified documents, bringing it to Mar-a-Lago. They really don't care about that. That's okay. But they want to investigate the FBI. I mean, it's just, this is what they're doing. I'm not making this stuff up, by the way. They want to check the business dealings involving President Joe Biden's son, Hunter. What about the business dealings of Jared Kushner? What about the business dealings of Ivanka Trump? Oh, no, they don't want to talk about that. How about the fact that Jared Kushner got billions of dollars from the Saudis in a loan? Oh, no, they don't want to talk about that. How about the fact that it's estimated that Ivanka Trump made over $100 million profit? Her businesses flourished, especially with dealings with China. But no, no, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about Hunter Biden, how he might have been accepting a $50,000 a year job because of who his father was. Folks, here's the facts. There is no law that says if you're a son or a daughter of a president that you can't take advantage of who your father is and make money. There are no laws that say you can't do that. Now, I wish there was. And if you want to implement laws that say family members of a president can't do blah, 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 
then I would perfectly be on board with it. But until you do that, as far as I know, Hunter Biden didn't do anything wrong. He made money off of who his dad is. Same thing with, uh, I would imagine, with Ivanka Trump. But they don't want to talk about the Trump family. They just want to talk about Hunter Biden and his laptop. They don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about gas prices. They don't want to talk about health care. They don't want to talk about abortion, the really important issues that Americans face today that they care about. No, they want to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. And they want to talk about the school closures and the vaccine mandates. But they don't want to talk about the over a million people that died of COVID and how we can do a better job next time we have a global pandemic to try to save lives. No, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about critical race theory, right? How our kids are being indoctrinated. Yeah, they want to talk about that. Let me tell you something. Next time you have a conversation with all of these right-wing idiots, because that's what they are, and they want to talk about critical race theory, or they want to talk about how kids are being indoctrinated, say, can you name me one teacher? Do you have any evidence or proof? Do you have audio or video of this going on? Oh, no, I heard it from a parent. Yeah, because parents can't lie. You know what that dumbass Carrie Lake said yesterday? She said, oh, we've heard from hundreds of people that have complained that they don't believe their votes were counted. Okay, so they could be hundreds of supporters that you have that are lying. So what? I have hundreds of people that have told me that Carrie Lake puts on her Donald Trump knee pads every day. Does that mean it's true? Well, no, I have hundreds of people that told me that, so it might be true. Oh, I know of many of parents that say their kids are being indoctrinated. Well, maybe they're just watching Fox News every day and they think that's what's happening to their kids. Number to call 702-221-7283. Again, if you want to be a part of the program, we'll sneak in a, a few quick calls here if you want to be a part of the program. Again, that number, 702-221-7283. Again, that number, 702-221-7283 if you want to be a part of the program. But this is what Republican members in the House are trying to do. It's what they did yesterday. All they talked was about Hunter Biden. And for the last several years, they've been complaining and bitching and complaining about gas prices. They've been complaining about inflation. What happened yesterday? Did they have solutions? All this complaining. They have no solutions to the problems. They're gloating and bragging about how Nancy Pelosi isn't, isn't going to be the House Speaker anymore. They're talking about Hunter Biden, and they're going to put in all these investigations into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden because they're corrupt. The corrupt Biden family. The, the right-wing clowns that are on the radio or TV that are talking, calling Biden the, the, the crime family, the Biden are the same people that stand silent when it comes to Donald Trump. They have no leg to stand on. They have no credibility. You think these House Republicans are in office to help you? They proved once again that they're not yesterday. All it is is political games. That's all they're doing. Hunter Biden's laptop, been investigated for years. They want to continue to investigate that. Do you remember Benghazi when they went after Hillary Clinton? Eight Republican investigations found nothing. And I'm telling you, folks, they're not going to find anything on Hunter Biden. They're not going to find anything on Joe Biden. Is it possible that Hunter Biden might have cheated on his tax returns? I guess that's possible. Why is it that Donald Trump hasn't released his tax returns yet? I guess he's been under audit for six years. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the epitome of hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen. And I got to tell you, I am sick and tired of it. I really am. I'm just sick and tired of it, man. I want to tell you guys about my friends at Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care located at 6125 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 1B. Uh, no appointment needed. If you want to give them a call, 702-2480-554. I was in and out of there 
in like 20 minutes, man. I was in and out of there so fast. Uh, they're great. I promise you they'll take care of you. They took care of me. They take most insurances. And if you don't have insurance, $95 copay. You can't beat that. Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little Raiders football with Scott Gorbinson from Silver and Black today. What is going on with this organization? Do they really have financial problems? Is Derek Carr going to be back next year? Is Josh McDaniels going to be back next year? I think those are very fair and valid questions. We'll ask Scott coming up next. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. World famous Randy's Donuts is now in Las Vegas. Look for the giant rooftop donut at Sahara and Rainbow and get ready for a taste sensation like no other. Since 1952, Randy's Donuts is consistently named one of the top donut shops in the country. And there's little wonder why. And oh my God, the variety. Glazed, raised, sprinkled, long johns, cinnamon rolls, crawlers, fritters, bear claws. I'm getting hungry. Randy's Donuts, 2170 South Rainbow at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. Randy's Donuts, always alive, but always worth the wait. Visit randysdonuts.com or just stop by at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. You've seen Randy's Donuts in the movies. Now taste them for real. One taste and you'll be back 
Again and again. Randy's Donuts, 2170 South Rainbow, at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. Shopping is always easy with the Radio Shopping Show. Whether it's shopping during any one of our live shows right here on AM 1400 or listening live on the KSHP app, you can always call in at 702-221-7283 to pick up great deals with your favorite host. Or shop 24-7 at KSHP.com. Go to KSHP.com and select Shopper's Guide to browse hundreds of businesses featured on the show. Place your order online and we'll have it shipped right to your front door. With so many possibilities, it's hard not to shop. As a three-time international award-winning restaurant, Joe's New York Pizza uses only the freshest and best available ingredients. From giant slices of hand-tossed pie to calzones, strombolis, fingers, and wings, Joe's serves all your favorites. Stop in for a slice at one of their two Las Vegas locations at Paradise and Harmon or South Las Vegas Boulevard, or you can check out their menu at joesnewyorkpizzalv.com. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. we got Real Kid Poker, Danny Legrano, who will be joining us in hour number two. Have some fun with him. You know, talking a little politics first segment, and uh, I don't know, is there politics going on behind the scenes with the Raiders organization? Uh, you know, article was written yesterday in Sports Illustrated. A pretty good read, actually. Uh, and listen, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. And I, I don't know if this is factual or not. What I, you know, what I do know is the article that was written, uh, talked a little bit about how Mark Davis might have some financial issues. And that's why Josh McDaniels isn't getting fired. I don't think that's the case, but, uh, hey, to break this all down with us, what better person than my pal Scott Gumbertson from, uh, you know, one of the, I would, I would actually say one of the better podcasts around when it comes to, uh, Silver and Black today. Uh, just a great podcast and, and, and honest. It's an honest podcast. And, uh, Scott joining me right now. Scott, thanks so much for being here, my friend. How are you? Thanks. I'm glad you could be honest. Uh, yeah, we, we like to use the word objective for sure. Uh, but thank you. I appreciate it. I'm doing well. No question. Yeah, you guys do a great job over there. All right. So there's so many questions to get to with you, Scott, in a short period of time. Let's start here. Obviously, the fans are very upset. People around the organization are very upset. Nobody thought this team would have this record at this point in the year. Who's accountable? Do you, Derek Carr, number one. Is it Josh McDaniels and his staff? Why? I guess that's the million-dollar question. Well, I've, talk, I've talked about it all week, Brian, and it, it really is. It's multiple points of failure. We can start at the top with owner Mark Davis. Uh, he hired the guys he brought in. Now, you have to give them a chance. I think, you know, everybody wants to fire a coach after nine weeks, but you got a quarterback who's been unable to win after nine years, and you make excuses for them, too. So, and again, that's not indicting Derek Carr and saying it's all his fault because it's not. My point is you have a coaching staff that's not doing well. Josh McDaniels, you look at how he calls a game how he prepares his team for a game, the culture inside the building. Obviously, there's some problems. So you start there. Then you go to Dave Ziegler, the GM. He signs Darren Waller to a big contract. All those guys spent $323 million uh, on the – excuse me, $223 million on the offense when you consider Carr's contract, Waller's contract, Renfro's contract, and then, of course, uh, Devontae Adams. So those guys have all been on the field together for a total of 62 plays the yeah. entire year. So you could start there and look at Dave Ziegler giving out some big deals. Darren Waller deal was, was advisable. I mean, you'd look at experts around the league said, why would you do that? You have two years left on his deal. He hasn't, he's coming off an injury 
last a foot injury last year, and this year you give him a big deal. And look, he hasn't been on the field. Not saying he's not a good player, but I wouldn't give him the deal. You got two day, two years left on the contract, so you have that. Then you look at the rest of the roster. They decided they were deep at offensive line. It's been a disaster. They're not deep at the offensive line. Right. Not only that, they spent all that money on offense, and they didn't spend any money on defense except for Chandler Jones, who's been a bust, but would have known that. He got five sacks in one game last year in week one, got rest of the year. So um, it's it's fears at every level of the organization that's led to this. So let me say, Brian, and I know I've went on for a little bit here. No, no. That, this team mm-hmm. made the playoffs last year. This team made the playoffs last year, but the expectation that they were playoff team last year is completely ridiculous because they turned the roster over. They had 27 return players. They were lucky. I shouldn't say lucky. They got hot at the right time last year and played over their heads, played teams that had backup quarterbacks, key injuries down the stretch. So I think fans had a much higher expectation than reality really uh, uh, said it should be. Perhaps. But I think you'll agree with me. You have this year. You have the arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Josh Jacobs is having a career year. You still got Max Crosby on the other side of the ball. So they shouldn't certainly shouldn't have been worse than last year. And I say to myself, and you tell me if you disagree with me or not, Scott. But I say to myself, and I know I'm Monday morning quarterbacking for lack of a better term. You keep the coaching staff from last year. I think this team is above 500. Am I wrong in making that assumption? I don't know that you're wrong. I mean, you're right. You, you said the correct word is you're making an assumption. I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard to say because remember last year, that staff and the players, including Derek Carr, should be credited for what an amazing job they did keeping it all together after all of the things that went on last season. So from that perspective, you'd like to think that, yes, they could have continued that. We just don't know. We don't know what yeah. – um, what addition subtractions, because remember the front office changed too. So, so again, uh, what Dave Ziegler has done and his guys have done in the front office, that could have changed that situation too. So that coaching staff from last year, if you brought the exact same team from last year forward, perhaps, but it's hard to say, but I understand why people would yeah. say that. All right. So here's my opinions as a whole. And I, I, you know, you're the, you're the Raider insider here, but this is what I hear from other insiders. And you tell me if you agree or disagree with me. They've had a couple closed door meetings between Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis. I believe what's happened in those meetings is as follows. Josh McDaniels and his staff are not happy with, with the majority of the players that they inherited. They don't like the last regime. They don't like the players they have. I believe he expressed that to Mark Davis. I believe they're going to clear house. I don't think Derek Carr is going to be on the Raiders roster next year. I could be wrong on that. I think most of these players are going to be gone. They're going to get their own players. They're going to start fresh. I believe Mark Davis has bought into that. They've already taken this year weeks ago as a throwaway year. Not to say that they don't want to win football games, but I, I, this is a throwaway year in Mark Davis's eyes and Josh McDaniel's eyes. They want their own players and they want a lot of these guys out. That's what I think is going to happen. Josh McDaniels is still going to be our coach next year. And I don't, I'd be shocked if Derek Carr is still our starting quarterback next year. Uh, last statements, I would agree 100%. I, I think the, this, the coach stays and the quarterback goes and, and let me explain to you, I think that this team going into this season, I think you had the ego from New England coming with Ziegler and McDaniels, and they really thought coming in, even with the guys left over from the Gruden-Mayock regime, they thought they could coach. This showed with what they did with the offensive line. They thought they could coach them up, that they would do a better job and get better performance out of the players that were there. 
and they haven't been able to do that. There's been a failure at the coaching level, so they didn't get, I think, I, I don't think they necessarily thought they would be an 11 or 12 win team, but could they be a 500 team or maybe a little better if a game goes this way or that way? I think they believe they they could. Then as everything fell apart this year and you saw what happened with the release of Jonathan Abram and so on, I think you're right. I think they've gotten to the point now and said, okay, we got to think about the future. And again, I'm taking heat because for the first time, and I've not been a Derek Carr hater. I've always given him credit. I like the guy as a person. He's an amazing young guy. But at the same time, you're now in a situation where if you if you uh, continue with him after this next season, you have two years left under contract with Derek Carr, $48.5 million a year. When you have to build your defense, build your offensive line, and like you said, you have a lot of bodies you got to get, mm-hmm. this is the time where you have to suck it up and you have to say, hey, listen, amicably split, let Derek Carr go go somewhere where there hasn't been dysfunction for nine years. If that guy a chance to win some ball games, maybe he goes on a run and, and ends his career with a championship. Who knows? But I think the Raiders, they have to get the most valuable thing in the NFL. And that is players on rookie contracts, and that includes the quarterback. Okay, so let me know if you think this is a pipe dream or not. You've got Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay who's not happy. Uh, another bad loss for them uh, yesterday. He wants out. I think that's clear. Uh, rumors were circulating he wanted out last year, and that's why he held out for so long. A lot of young players in Green Bay. He doesn't work well with the, That's just not his personality. Uh is there any chance at all that they can wheel and deal? I understand the Green Bay Packers would not want Derek Carr's contract. I understand that. But is there any way you think something could be worked out? Because I know, uh, from at least from what I've heard, he would want to become a Raider. He loves Las Vegas. He is not happy in Green Bay right now. Is there any chance a deal like that could be made? Listen, I never say never, Brian, but why would he go to the Raiders when you're a team that's rebuilding? So... Uh, he just wants to put in park and, and wait for retirement and make some more money. I mean, the Raiders don't have a right side of their offensive line. They're going to have to address that. Now, if they were to do something and address that, that's fine. But they got to get a young quarterback. They need to get bodies. And so as, as cool as it would be to have Aaron Rodgers in the silver and black donning Ken Stabler's number, number 12, um, I, I just don't see it happening because I think the Raiders need to go the opposite direction. They need to go get a young quarterback. If they finish in the top, three or four in the draft, uh, Bob, three or four in the league, that is this season, they're going to get one of three really good quarterbacks up there and be able to uh, start to plan for the future. And I think that's what they need to do. Any chance at all that they are tanking? Now, uh, listen, I, I, I've heard a lot of fans saying that. I don't, I, I'm not claiming that they're losing games on purpose, but I, I just want to ask you the question. I think I know what your answer is going to be. Any chance at all? So, so here's what I say, and I, and I talked about this on our show, Brian, and that is it's not the NBA where teams actually do tank on purpose because I, I do believe they do the NBA. But I think in the NFL, what tanking is, if, you, if tank is defined as, hey, we're going to start playing guys to see what we have. They might be second, third string young guys. We're, we're going to start putting them out front and maybe sitting some guys that were overpriced or not performing as well, even though they're making that money. Then, yes, they're tanking. Are they trying to lose games? No. So, so that's my definition of tanking. So if they're just saying, hey, you know, we're going to give guys a shot. We're going to see what we have. My answer would be yes. 
Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I certainly agree with that. Again, if you're just joining us, he's Scott uh, Gobertson, uh, Raiders insider, silver and black today, uh, podcast talking Raiders football. All right. So this week they're on the road. They play the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos not having a very good year as well. And, uh, they had a tough week last week, but this is not an easy place to play. And when you look at the last three games, Scott, that the Raiders have lost and the way they've lost, right? I mean, I was out there in New Orleans covering that game. That was a disaster where they couldn't even pass midfield and they got shut out by a bad Saints team. And then we all know what happened in Jacksonville when they blow a 17 point lead. That was an absolute embarrassment. And the Colts game last week, you know, Josh McDaniels across the way, Jeff Saturday, who's never been a head coach before. And I felt like he outcoached Josh McDaniels in that game. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I expect the Raiders to win. And I'm not even going to sit here and say I expect the Raiders to be in the football game. I know that Denver's offense is terrible, but I'm not going to say the Raiders win this weekend. What do you think? No, I'm with you. I don't know how anybody could pick the Raiders with what they have. I picked them last week, and I paid the price, and people told me how stupid I was, and I was. <laughs> because uh, why would you, at this point, why would you pick them? I mean, they're a three-point underdog, which – with as bad as these two teams are, I mean, as you know, the odds makers given the three points because it's at home in Denver and cold outside. So, so you understand the line there. But, but listen, Denver's offense is just brutal. It's one of the worst we've seen in the NFL in the modern era, as far as the stats and the points go. And so, if that's the case, that's the only reason Raiders are bigger. I think underdogs is because of that. That Denver defense, though, as you know, is stout and is pretty good. And so the Raider offense is going to have to play a much better game than they have. They've not been able to play four quarters all season, just like the Raiders defense has. The Raiders defense, as bad as it is, is going to be facing a pretty bad offense. So I think that if you look at this, it should be a pretty close game. But again, I just can't pick the Raiders because of what historically they've done this season. Four 17.0 leads, and they won in three in those games. By the way, in the NFL, teams with 17-point lead in the game this year are 49-3. and Wow. Just to show you how difficult it is that the Raiders have lost three of four where they held a 17-point lead. Unbelievable. All right, let's talk a little bit about Josh McDaniels, and I'll give you my opinions on him. The guy's lost 24, I believe, of his last 30 games as a head football coach. When he was in New England... I'll take it and give him credit for being a very, very good offensive coordinator. If he wasn't, I'm sure Belichick would have fired him. But he also had a guy by the name of Tom Brady, arguably the best football player of all time, certainly the best quarterback of all time, and then arguably the best head football coach of all time in Bill Belichick. He has no, very little to no success as a head football coach. I believe in a way he's lost the locker room. I don't think he has the leadership qualities to be a head football coach and successful in the National Football League. I know he's going to get more of his own players next year and things are going to be different. I just do not see Josh McDaniels, just like I don't see Derek Carr, a guy that's going to bring you to a Super Bowl. I don't think Josh McDaniels is capable of that either. I just don't think he's a very good head football coach. Good offensive coordinator. Obviously, he's a creative guy. He knows the game very well. But you have to have some sort of leadership qualities, and I don't believe that he has it. What do you say? No, I mean, I think that's the that's the book on him, right? I think that's the the standard, or I should say the prevailing view of Josh McDaniels right now as it is. But at the same time, even if that's the case, um, I don't think after nine games, you listen, you Mark Davis made that choice. He made the decision. And so I, it's really interesting that, if you look back at when John Gruden took over, traded away Khalil Mack, and the Raiders went south and had a very difficult first two seasons, weren't people clamoring to fire him? Um, now, John Gruden hadn't coached in 10 years. Yes, he won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's team in Tampa Bay, but it's amazing how unlikable Josh McDaniels has been over the course of his career that people are willing to 
want to fire him after nine games. So I think you're going to have to let it play out and see if if what everyone believes, at least the prevailing thought, is that he's not a good leader and that he can't be a head coach. Um, he's got to have to have an opportunity. And really, in the NFL today, as, as tough as it can be, I don't think a head coach coming in with a team that has to do as much building as this team does can can get a fair shot unless he gets their quarterback. The quarterback is the position in the NFL, as you know, Brian. And if you don't get the opportunity to have your guy there, have you been really given the chance? So we'll see. It's either going to really surprise us and he's going to do really well to go get a young quarterback and things will go great, or everything that everyone is afraid of comes true and the Raiders get set back another three or four years. Scott, do you believe Mark Davis when Mark Davis says he believes that Josh McDaniels has done, quote, a great job? Uh, do you believe him when he makes that statement, when he says he's going to be our coach for years to come? Do you believe Mark Davis when he makes statements like that to the media recently? I believe that he believes that. Yes. Um, I think that, I think that when he makes those comments, I don't necessarily think Mark Davis is always the most articulate person. Uh, and so I think he, he'll say things like that. And so when he says things like that, he being a totality of him doing it, not necessarily game coaching and some of the other things that we all believe is not going well. But I do believe that he feels like he's got the right guy. And so when he says that, that's what I think. I can't speak for the guy, but that's what I think. But then things like, well, Rome wasn't built in a day. The, promise, the, the problem with that comment he made there was this team spent all the money and made all the moves to show that they wanted to try to win this year. And now they're kind of backtracking and say, well, no, we always knew we had to build, which I think is dishonest. And fans are upset because, look, you sold everybody that this team was ready to win. Okay. And uh, it's come out and done exactly the opposite. And so I think fans feel really uh, down about that and that not like that their owner or their coach or their GM was honest with them. So Bill Plasky, I've always thought he was a really good journalist. He came out with this story. Sports Illustrated comes out with this story that uh, the reason why, uh, alleging that the reason why Mark Davis has not fired Josh McDaniels to this point is because Davis doesn't have the money to do so. Do you think there's any validity to this story? No, in fact, I, I vehemently think it's crap. I think if you read, all anybody has to do is read Sports Business Journal, read Forbes magazine, and read about the financials of the Raiders since they moved to Las Vegas. He has the money. Does he have Jerry Jones money? Of course not. But if you look at the, the value of the Raider organization, the corporate sponsorships that they've gotten since they moved to Las Vegas, including all the deal and all the money they make from the stadium, from an Elton John concert, the money they make from that, stuff they didn't make in Oakland. They have the money, but no one is going to fire a coach with that much unless something just completely egregious happened. And I'm not talking wins and losses. I'm talking about a Gruden type situation with yeah. emails or some kind of crazy. Um, no one's going to do that and spend all that money after nine games. I mean, let's be real here. Bill can write that and other people can write it because it's a it's an old narrative from the Oakland days for Mark Davis. And, and Mark Davis will never be the richest owner in the NFL, but he's moved up the list quite yeah. a bit. And that organization is producing a lot more revenue than he used to. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Scott, I always appreciate it when you come on. I know you got a busy day. I appreciate you coming on on short notice and uh, Silver and Black, one of my favorite podcasts around. You guys do a fantastic job and it's always a pleasure having you on, my friend. And we'll see what happens this weekend and how this all plays out. But uh, thanks for coming on, my friend. I appreciate you. 
Sounds good, Brian. If I don't talk to you, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks. You too, my friend. Have a great Thanksgiving with your family. That's Scott Gilbertson, everybody. Great guy. Miss him here in Las Vegas. I got to be honest with you. He, uh, he's one of the good guys in this, uh, or was one of the good guys in this town. He still is a good guy. He just doesn't live here anymore. That's all. But, uh, Scott's great. We always appreciate when he comes on. All right. From top to bottom, let me just give you my opinion on this whole thing. I'm at the Vegas Golden Knights game yesterday and a bunch of guys, you know, Brian Salmon from Channel 3, uh, Chris Chapman from uh, Lotus, is Lotus, Lotus Broadcasting. You know, a bunch of us were all talking and I'm giving them my opinions. And I got to say, man, when you look at what the Raiders went through last year with all the off the field and I, it's always uncomfortable for me to bring this stuff up when we have a loss of life and a, a young woman in Tina Tintor that was murdered. And I call it murder because when you're driving a car 150 miles an hour and you're drunk, that's murder. Nothing premeditated about that. Oh, well, Brian, Ruggs didn't mean to kill somebody. Oh, really? You're driving 150? How stupid do you have to be? It's murder. And I hate to talk about those horrible stories and have to relate it to football. But you have to, I guess, right? With all the off-the-field drama and the horrible stories and things that took place, I'm not just talking about Gruden, I'm talking about Rugs and all that. The fact that the Raiders made the playoffs, to me, and I said it when it had, it was, it was a great accomplishment. From a football standpoint, that was an accomplishment. No, they weren't a team last year that was going to make it to a Super Bowl. But they also didn't have guys like Devontae Adams either. Keep that in mind but they made it to the playoffs. And I thought that was a great accomplishment. And I thought Mark Davis's first mistake was getting rid of the staff. I believe that coaching staff earned another year. They have a losing season this year. They don't make the playoffs. Then it's time for a change. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two was hiring Josh McDaniels. Folks, you don't pay a guy the kind of money that Mark Davis is paying Josh McDaniels unless you have a winning record in the NFL, unless you have a resume. And I'm not talking about an offensive coordinator, and you can have a 100 rings as an offensive coordinator. Doesn't mean you're going to be a good head football coach. You could, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. If you're going to pay a guy that kind of money, he has to have a winning record and a resume as a head football coach in the National Football League. Josh McDaniels doesn't have that. In fact, it's the opposite. That was mistake number two. A big mistake, and I guess you could call this a mistake before those first two, was signing Derek Carr to the contract that they signed him to because Derek Carr has not shown me that he is the quarterback that is going to get you to a Super Bowl, let alone a quarterback that can win playoff games. There's a reason why Derek Carr has not won playoff games, and I'm and I'm tired of the excuses. Oh, he's had eight different coaches. doesn't matter. At some point, you have to perform. I understand it's difficult to be uh, learning different systems, but with the talent that Derek Carr has, he has been trashed this year. This is the worst year of his career. And I said at the beginning of the year, this is going to be the most important year of his career. Now, why do I say that? Because you have all the pieces in place. Yes, I understand that there have been guys that have been hurt. I understand that they haven't been 100% healthy, but you still have had talent on the field. I understand having Darren Waller not playing over the last month hurts things. I get that. You have Josh Jacobs that is having a career year. You have arguably the best receiver in football in Devontae Adams. Derek Carr, they kind of know each other. The timing should be there with those two. You have the tools on offense. Even if you're missing guys, you still have the tools on offense to have a much better record than they have right now. I don't think anybody would disagree with that statement. That's pretty logical. Derek Carr, as I have been saying for years, 
certainly since the Raiders came to Las Vegas, he is not the quarterback that is going to get you to where fans want you to get to, and that is competing to get to a Super Bowl and to contend to win a Super Bowl. Derek Carr is not the guy, and he's getting paid way too much money. He'll have flashes of brilliance. He'll have a few good games put together. I understand that. He's capable of maybe getting you to the playoffs under the right regime. He is not the guy that's going to win you a Super Bowl. Sorry, folks. He's just not. And the Raiders are going to be bad for a while. And if they're going to do this rebuilding thing, and they're going to get a young quarterback, depending on how they do in the draft, it's going to take a while before the Raiders are even back to where we thought they were at at the beginning of the year this year. At the beginning of the year this year, we had a lot of people including myself, by the way, that had high expectations for this team. I didn't say that I thought that they could compete for a, a championship, but this year I did say absolutely should be a playoff team and we'll see what happens from there. Absolutely. In a very tough division. I understand that. But this has been a complete and utter embarrassment. You want to know what a really good franchise looks like? You want to know what a really good coaching hire looks like? Go check out across the street, the Vegas Golden Knights. And I know they lost a couple games at home and they took care of business against a really bad Arizona team yesterday. They have a good hockey coach. Cassidy is a guy that had the experience in Boston. He got his team to the playoffs every year. He's a good NHL coach. That's why they hired him. He has the resume. He wasn't some assistant coach somewhere. He has the resume. And... That's why the Vegas Golden Knights are having the year they're having this far. They're a fun team to watch. They play good hockey. So, you know, these are uh, opposite ends of the spectrum as far as I'm concerned. That's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the Raiders, they threw away this season and they threw away an opportunity. And it's not because Derek Carr doesn't want to win. It's not because Devontae Adams doesn't want to win. It's not because Mark Davis doesn't want to win. It's not because Josh McDaniels doesn't want to win. They want to win. I just don't think the certain people that are in place are capable of winning at a high level in the NFL. And no, I don't think it's because Mark Davis doesn't have money. I, I agree with Scott. I don't, I don't agree with some of those reports that came out. I don't think this is necessarily a money issue. I think Mark Davis is being a little stubborn here. His hire has not worked out. And I don't think it's going to work out. Where are we going to be if, 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 if the Raiders are below 500 at this time next year? You're going to lose the fan base. The fan base, I mean, there are loyal Raiders fans everywhere in this country, and I appreciate them. They're passionate, and they'll still go to games. But I'm talking about that middle base that pays six, $700 a ticket to go to games. You are going to lose a portion of this fan base if the product is not good. And this year, the product has not been good. So where are we going to be, and where is the conversation going to take us if we're at this point next year, or even close to this point next year, under 500? How much of a leash are you giving Josh McDaniels if you're Mark Davis? I tell you right now, if you don't fire him this year, which I believe you should, but I know that's not going to happen. If you don't fire him next year, if they don't have a winning record, then (laughs) sell the team as far as I'm concerned. I like Mark Davis. Not a good owner of a football team. Great owner of the Las Vegas Aces, very successful. Hiring Becky Hammond was a fantastic hire, but we're not talking about the WNBA. It's a little different than the NFL. The NFL is a multi-billion dollar money-making business, and the Raiders are not going to be worth as much as they are worth right now if they have consecutive seasons like this. I'll tell you that right now. Mark Davis has made some very bad decisions. Management has made some very bad decisions. 
and it's cost them. And we'll have to wait and see what happens next year. We already know what's happening this year. I don't care what games they win or lose. Losing to the Colts last week was, I mean, the Colts aren't terrible. Uh, they should be better than their record, but they fired their coach and then they bring in Jeff Saturday and Saturday comes in here and gets a W. I mean, you know, the way they're losing too and the teams they're losing to, it makes me want to throw up. It's embarrassing. How could you lose a 17 point lead to one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Jaguars? How do you get bounced 24-0, 24-0 against the Saints? You can't even pass midfield. How does that even happen? It's the way they're losing, too. It's very embarrassing. And then you lose to a guy that's never been a head coach before. His first game as a head coach. You know, Josh McDaniels, uh, he keeps saying over and over again, we need to learn how to win, and I need to do better. I need to do better. Well, yeah. No crap you need to do better. You're getting paid a lot of money, and you've done an awful job this year. Your entire staff, the play calling has been terrible. People complained about Ole, our offensive coordinator, last year. I'll tell you what. he's, He's one of the best in the league compared to what we're seeing this year. I thought the play calling was decent last year. This year, the play calling's been terrible. The decision-making has been terrible. Players are not executing. That is obvious. And I'm telling you, at this point next year, if we're where we're at right now, Mark Davis is going to have to make a decision because the fan base is not going to put up with this. Well, maybe Gorilla Rilla, <laughs> but I don't know. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll take your call, 702-221-7283. Again, that number, 221-7283. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Pushing Limits right here on KSHP. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to tell you guys about my favorite gaming bar in town, Jackson's Bar and Grill. They got some great promotions. They always have great promotions, especially now in November every Sunday. You get $50 free play after earning 200 points. Tuesday and Thursday, it's free wine giveaway. You earn 200 points. You get a free bottle of wine. How cool is that? Some restrictions do apply. In every Vegas Golden Knights game, all TVs and sound pass the puck. You went up to $100 in free play per period just for playing. Great food, great atmosphere. I love this place. It is Jackson's Bar and Grill, located at Flamingo and Jones. Please check them out. So, uh, speaking uh, of this weekend and things to do, uh, there's plenty of stuff uh to do this weekend. I got, I got a couple things of myself that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be heading out to T-Mobile Arena today. I was out there yesterday, of course, for the Vegas Golden Knights game. We'll talk to real kid poker, Danny Negreanu coming up at the bottom of the hour, talk a little VGK hockey. I know Daniel was at the game yesterday. They took care of Arizona. Not a surprise. Arizona's terrible. That team's probably the worst team in the league. But, um, today, I can't wait because I love anybody who knows me knows how much I love college basketball. And you've got four really, really good college basketball teams. I'm talking about four teams that could be in the mix very late in March. I believe the first game today is Baylor, and Baylor's playing Illinois. Illinois is not a pushover. They're a top 25 team in the country. Baylor's a top 10 team. So they're playing today. Some weird times, though. I don't know why these games are so early today, but uh, the first game is actually at 4 p.m., and uh, that's going to be the uh, Baylor game. And then the second game is very, very intriguing. Uh, UCLA is in town. Mick Cronin and UCLA in town playing uh, Virginia. Virginia always seems to be in the mix when it comes to March Madness. These are four really good basketball teams. So it's kind of like a two-day tournament where you have these two teams playing today. And then the finals will be Sunday at T-Mobile Arena. So this is some really, really good, good basketball. I mean, you know. 
I'm not, I, I don't know if Illinois is going to make it to the final four, but I'm just saying that these are elite eight type basketball games. These are really, really good games. Really. And I'm sorry. Baylor plays Virginia. That game is on ESPN too. UCLA plays Illinois. I got those mixed up. And then the championship games will be Sunday at noon and 2.30 PM. So I'm going to have to get my ass out of bed on Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll be able to do it to watch some great college basketball. So anyway, that's going to be a lot of fun starting today. Right after the show, I'm going to be heading over there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, tomorrow, uh, having some dinner, and then I'm going to be heading out to watch one of my favorite bands since I was, geez, since I was in high school, right? Of course, we remember Stone Temple Pilots, the late Scott Weiland. So, of course, Stone Temple Pilots will never be the same without their lead singer. But uh, Stone Temple Pilots playing a free show. How cool is that? on Fremont Street on Saturday night. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then I'm going to go to a place called The Barber Shop. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, Brian, you're shaving your head. You could go, no, it's The Barber Shop at the Cosmo. It's like a really cool blues type uh, bar, lounge. And uh, one of my friends is performing there very late on Saturday. Uh, so that should be uh, that should be fun. Checking out, uh, of course, the uh, basketball action at T-Mobile Arena on Sunday. And uh, of course, all the football action Sunday afternoon. And then I get to come back here and sit my butt back here and, and talk about it. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other stuff to get to on Monday. So that is how my weekend is going to go. It's another pretty fun sports weekend. I had one of those last weekend too. And uh, that's why I love living in this town. There's always something to do and it's uh, always fun to do it. And I always enjoy uh, covering these events. It's what I, it's what I like doing. It's what I enjoy. So I was reading a story about Elon Musk today uh, talking about uh, Twitter and he's reinstated some, I guess you could call them some controversial figure. I don't know. Remember Kathy Griffin? Remember when she held up the comedian? She held up the severed fake head of Donald Trump. Probably an inappropriate thing to do. She was fired from CNN. Uh, she was taken off of social media. So surprisingly, Elon Musk has reinstated Kathy Griffin's, uh, Twitter page. I find that to be very interesting. Uh, new, uh, this is what he said on, uh, this is what he said on social media. He said, uh, Elon Musk said, new Twitter policy is freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. Negative hate tweets will be max, uh, you know, taken off. So no ads or other revenue to Twitter. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from the rest of the Internet. Uh, Kathy Griffin, Jordan Peterson and Babylon B have been reinstated. The Trump decision has not been made yet. Note, this applies just to the individual tweet. Not the whole account. All right. So interesting. He hasn't decided whether he's going to reinstate Donald Trump yet, but he has reinstated some other, uh, I guess you could call them controversial figures. So here's my opinion on uh, Twitter and freedom of speech. We all know you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? You shouldn't never be allowed to incite violence. Clearly, Donald Trump did that on social media. That's not up for debate. As far as hate speech goes. I don't think you should ever be allowed to promote racism. Like, for example, if you're the Grand Wizard, and I know some of you Trump supporters are out there, if you're a Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, you probably shouldn't be allowed to go on Twitter and promote your Ku Klux Klan rallies. It's promoting hate speech. You do that in your own time, but you know this is a private entity. I, I don't think you should be allowed to do that. So I don't know what people think guidelines should or shouldn't be. You shouldn't be allowed to, in my opinion, you shouldn't be allowed to incite violence. You shouldn't be allowed to promote hate speech. You shouldn't be allowed to threaten somebody or make racist or anti-Semitic comments, anything along those lines. There has to be a standard. 
And there's going to be people out there, you know, they thought that when Elon Musk bought Twitter that, oh, it's free reign for the racists and the idiots to say whatever they want to say. And the day that Elon Musk officially bought Twitter, people were using the N-word left and right. No, you can't do that. And rightfully so, by the way. But people don't understand the definition of freedom of speech, mostly on the right. They don't understand, oh, cancel culture. Freedom of speech pertains to the government. It doesn't pertain to the private sector. Why is it so hard for people out there to understand that? Are they that stupid? They don't understand what freedom of speech is. For example, if you don't like white people or black people or whatever, I'm using this as an uh, as just an example, and you go on the sidewalk and you say, I hate white people, you know, the government can't do anything about that. You're not breaking the law as long as it's on public property. The government can't do anything. You have the right to do that. But your words have consequences, not pertaining to the government, pertaining to the private sector. Example, if you work for a company, let's just say you work for Bank of America. I'm just throwing that out there. And a general manager at a Bank of America goes on a public sidewalk on his own time. He's not working and he says, I don't know, I hate white people. If that bank finds out about that and it's all over social media, that can hurt their business. They can fire you. That does not pertain to freedom of speech. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I try to explain to people when they talk about freedom of speech. You know, there are people that want Alex Jones to get his Twitter account back on Twitter. Elon Musk, by the way, quickly shot that down and said no. There are certain people that should not be allowed on Twitter. And I personally believe Donald Trump is one of them, but I want to get your thoughts on this. What do you think about Twitter? What do you think about social media? And what do you think we should do with people like Alex Jones and Donald Trump when it comes to Twitter. If you're Elon Musk, what do you do? Now, I know so far it hasn't gone very well for Twitter. A lot of people have been fired. A lot of employees have been fired. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. What do you think? Do you think Donald Trump deserves to have a Twitter account? Do you think people should be allowed to say whatever they want to say on social media? What are your thoughts on that? I'll open up the phone lines now. That number to call is 702 221 7283. And again, that money, 702-221-7283 is the number to call. Do you think people should be able to say whatever they want on social media? Do you think people should have the freedom to do and say whatever they want? Free reign. Do you think that somebody like Donald Trump should be allowed to use social media and there shouldn't be any repercussions for him? I say, This is a private business. Elon Musk is the owner of the business. He should be allowed to do whatever. If he wants these people on social media, that's fine. But if they're allowing people to be on social media to incite violence, then they could be held criminally liable and fiscally liable. That is the problem. That is the issue. All right. So we got some breaking news. What happened? We got some breaking news that just went through. Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, just appointed special a special counsel on the DOJ's Trump Mar-a-Lago investigating, citing recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election. So this could be very, very interesting. So here's the audio. Uh, they just held the press conference. I want to play a little bit of it for you because this is breaking news. Here is Attorney General Merrick Garland. The Department of Justice has long recognized that in certain extraordinary cases, it is in the public interest to appoint a special prosecutor to independently manage an investigation and prosecution. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election, and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel 
Such an, employ, uh, an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. It also allows prosecutors and agents to continue their work expeditiously and to make decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. All right, so I'm a little confused about this, and I think Joe Walsh said it best. He comes on this show all the time, former presidential candidate. This doesn't really make any sense to me. Here's what Joe Walsh had to say about this, and I agree with him. Joe Walsh said, quote, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm no legal expert, but this special counsel appointment seems to be unnecessary ass covering. Merrick Garland is the top law enforcement officer in the country. It's his call. Either indict or don't. This decision belongs to you. And the Justice Department make it. I could not agree with Joe Walsh more. Why do you need, why do you need this if you're Merrick Garland? It seems like a wussy decision. Either indict the guy or don't indict the guy. It seems to me that it should be pretty, pretty simple, right? I mean, of course, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, eight-toe green, said impeach Merrick Garland. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, uh, I, I don't understand why. Well, I do understand why she would make a statement like, is anything that hurts Donald Trump? Uh, she'll ask his Donald Trump until the cows come home, but I don't understand why they're making this decision. It's very confusing to me. They clearly have all the evidence. They know what Donald Trump did. Indict the guy. And if you're not going to indict him, then announce that as well. But after all this, I got to tell you, I'm going into Mar-a-Lago and all these documents that were clearly highly classified that Donald Trump took to Mar-a-Lago, if they don't indict him, um, I don't even know what to say. Now, there are some people on social media that have large followings like Joe Cooper that said, this is good. Merrick Garland has appointed war crimes prosecutor Jack Smith as a special counsel to handle the Trump investigation. Trump is effed. If you're thrilled a former war crimes prosecutor has been chosen to handle the Trump investigation now that he's running, hit the heart button on my page. Um, Look, I guess you could look at it two different ways. I just find this. I agree with Joe Walsh. I find this to be very unnecessary, right? This is an unnecessary step. I don't know why Merrick Garland hasn't already indicted Donald Trump. I really don't. I don't understand that. The evidence has to clearly be there. And whether Donald Trump announces that he's running for president or not shouldn't make a difference. I don't understand why Garland uh, is bringing it up in, uh, in any way to begin with. I don't know, folks. The next couple of years are going to be very, very interesting. I don't know. Open up the phone line, 702-221-7283. And again, if you want to be a part of the conversation, the number to call, 702 702- Two two one seven two eight three. Your thoughts again on the breaking news that I just mentioned uh, when it comes to America Garland. Here's what Marjorie Taylor Greene had to say. Eight Toe Green on social media said, Republicans will need to refuse to appropriate any funding to Merrick Garland's special counsel and defund any part of the DOJ acting on behalf of the Democrat Party as a taxpayer-funded campaign arm for the Democrats' 2024 presidential nominee. Okay, so there's no evidence to what she said. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Republicans out there, they want to attack Democrats. They want to defund the police. But now you have Mar- Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, eight-toe green, basically saying she wants to do the same when it comes to the DOJ. I mean, you want to talk about the epitome of hypocrisy. That's exactly what we're seeing in real time right now with these Republicans. Jim Jordan made similar comments. I mean, it's 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 disgusting, quite frankly. It's unbearable. You know, Donald Trump said it best. When he ran for office, he said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they would still vote for me. One of the most truthful things that Donald Trump said, I've ever heard him say, because he's absolutely right. 
It doesn't matter what Donald Trump does. They're st- he's still going to have his supporters and his clan of supporters and that they're, they're still going to support him hand and foot. So think about what is going on in this country over the course of just the next two years. You have Donald Trump that is running for president. Who knows what a blank show that is going to be? Who knows who he picks as his vice president? Meanwhile, you have all these investigations into Donald Trump. And we're not talking about Hunter Biden. We're not talking about Donald Trump's son. We're talking about Donald Trump, the man who's trying to get reelected, who lost the popular vote twice. You have all these investigations to New York, the attorney general's office, Merrick Garland, when it comes to these classified documents that he took to Mar-a-Lago. You want to talk about misappropriating funds with his campaign. He is under investigation left and right. And he's running for president again. Now, I do believe part of the reason why he's running for president again, in my personal opinion, is ego. But I also think a big part of it is he wants to stay clear of all these investigations and and make no mistake about it. These investigations will go on whether he runs for president or not. And I don't know who's going to run for president on the left. I know Joe, a lot can happen here in the next two years. Joe Biden said he plans to. I don't think he will ultimately. I think somebody else is going to run for president. I don't think Joe Biden's going to run. I hope Kamala Harris does not run. But I've named you a few people. And listen, I know Michelle Obama's not going to run most likely. If she did run, it would be a slam dunk for Democrats. She would destroy Donald Trump. No question about that. But there are others like Shapiro out there in Pennsylvania. Uh, Gavin Newsom, I believe, would have a very good chance. I don't think Trump's going to be the president. I'd be shocked. I don't care who runs against Donald Trump. I would even be willing to tell you that if Joe Biden ran again, I don't want him to. But if Joe Biden ran again, he would probably defeat Donald Trump again. I can't imagine that Donald Trump would win. And I've spoken to many Republicans who are not happy that Donald Trump recently just announced that he's going to run for office, including Michelle joins me every week. There's a lot of people out there, staunch Republicans, that are not happy with Donald Trump. They want him to stay away. And part of that reason... It's because of what happened in the midterms. Now, you know, who else do you blame? You know, they want to put a lot of blame on Mitch McConnell. You could put a little blame on him, but I put a ton of the blame on, on Donald Trump. Many of those that he endorsed lost. Not Joe Lombardo won here, but many of those lost. Uh, Biden also has not given any advance notice of a Trump special prosecutor appointment. Uh, he hasn't given any at all. So I find that to be uh, a little bit interesting. Um, but uh, anyway, in regards to what's going to happen here in the next couple of years, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be somewhat entertaining. I'll eat my shorts if Donald Trump is the president in 2024. He could absolutely win the nomination. I can see that happening because the Republicans are in shambles right now. I actually do believe if it's Trump versus DeSantis, Trump will beat him. It'll be very, very entertaining, but I do see that happening. And it's also interesting that DeSantis is kind of staying away from the rhetoric. You know, Trump has made some comments about DeSantis, and I can only imagine that's going to get worse over the next year or so, year and a half. But... I personally believe that if it is between DeSantis and Trump, Trump wins within the Republican base. But I think what is better for Republicans to win the next presidency, I think DeSantis would have a much better chance, if that makes sense. But I don't think DeSantis beats Trump. I think that can get really nasty. I think the race could be very nasty. And by the way, a lot of Donald Trump's donors have backed away. 
Some of his biggest donors said they will not support his 2024 campaign. I can't imagine Donald Trump has money growing from wherever, as he would say. I don't know how much money Donald Trump has, but there's certainly a reason why he won't release his tax returns. I'll tell you that. So I don't know. I I think the next um, few months could be very, very interesting. Now, Dinesh D'Souza, who I've always considered to be, and most do, a despicable human being, a felon, a liar, and just an awful person. I read his tweets now and then just because he is the, the alt-right base. I mean, he is he is the far-right base. So Dinesh D'Souza just said, special counsel, yawn. I interpret this to mean Merrick Garland doesn't have the confidence to indict Trump. Either he doesn't have a case or he lacks the will to bring the case. Now, the, sec- the latter to that statement, by the way, might be true. I hate to agree with Dinesh D'Souza. I think they they certainly have the evidence, but maybe Merrick Garland doesn't have the guts to pull the trigger. Dinesh D'Souza, I can't believe I'm agreeing with him on this, but I am going to agree with him on that tweet. But again, this is the guy that, you know, released 2,000 mules and has zero credibility. But uh, all right, here's what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, God, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. Of course, I'm talking about real kid poker, Danny Negreanu. we got a lot to get to with him. His $3 million win, uh, big win in a tournament uh, about a month ago. We'll talk to him about that. Got to talk a little VGK hockey with him. Uh, even though the Knights lost a few games at home, they had a nice W yesterday. And what about Phil Castle, his buddy Phil Castle? A thousand win, uh, games straight. I mean, you have to have luck, but you also have to take care of your body and work ethic. Phil Kessel's unbelievable and scored a goal yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Fun game yesterday. We'll talk to Real Kid Poker Danny Negreanu about that next. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Mosfel. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, 
car accident treatment and work injuries, you name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. The best choice for convenience, comfort, and value, My Place Hotels are ideal for both short-term and long-term travelers. The rooms at My Place features pillow top mattresses, microfiber bedding, and a variety of soft and firm pillows. All extended stay rooms offer their own kitchen, which includes a full-size refrigerator and a cooktop. On-site laundry facilities are also available for extended stays at pet-friendly My Place Hotels. Book your stays online at MyPlaceHotels.com, MyPlace Hotels, St. George, and West Jordan, Utah. Make My Place your place. Shopping is always easy with the Radio Shopping Show. Whether it's shopping during any one of our live shows right here on AM 1400 or listening live on the KSHP app, you can always call in at 702-221-7283 to pick up great deals with your favorite host. Or shop 24-7 at KSHP.com. Go to KSHP.com and select Shopper's Guide to browse hundreds of businesses featured on the show. Place your order online and we'll have it shipped right to your front door. With so many possibilities, it's hard not to shop. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Friday. So glad that you could join us. And uh, I was wrong, by the way. Phil Kessel did not score a goal yesterday. I thought he did. He did He did uh, jump on the ice, though, for a thousand straight games. That's, that's definitely something to be proud of. You know, it's been a while since we had this guy in the line, a friend of Phil Kessel's. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, big VGK, knowledgeable, very knowledgeable fan when it comes to hockey. And, uh, yeah, knows a thing or two about poker as well. It's been a little while since we had Real Kid Poker, Danny DeGrano, joining us on the, on the line right now. Daniel, good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good, Danny. I always appreciate it when you come on. It's been a little while. I wanted to say, because uh, I haven't talked to you in a while, congratulations on the big win, uh, over $3 million winning uh, one of the biggest poker tournaments of the year. And isn't it amazing that you're pretty open and honest on social media that you were not having a good year, right? The cards weren't cooperating. That's going to happen. And, you know, you were, you were having one of your worst years as a professional poker player. And then all of a sudden, isn't it amazing how that can change in just a few days? Well, yeah. See, that's the hard thing with poker, right? When you work a regular job, you know, you get paid the same amount each week, each month for the most part. But with poker, you could be doing everything right and losing money. And that's sort of how the first part of my year was going. I was down about 1.6 million or so, Wow. you know, and obviously won 3.3. So turned it around. Um, and such is the life of a professional gambler. You know, it felt good to, cause I felt like I've been pretty dominant and I just haven't had the luck go my way in the all in situations. And that still seems to be the case for me, but yeah. I'm, I really feel as confident as I've ever felt about my poker game right now. Is that one of your biggest wins in a tournament? Yeah. Yeah, it is actually for a first place. It is. I came second years ago, you know, $1 million buy and I won 8.7 million, uh, but that was for second. First was 15 million. So right. my, my, before this, I think the top first prize I'd won was 1.8. 
So this is definitely the uh, this you know the biggest win I've had, and rightfully so. I saw how excited you were after uh, you had won. I'm just curious, like, what is a night for Danny Negreanu when you win a big tournament like that and you win three point three million dollars? Are you a guy that kind of just takes it easy? Do you party? Do you hang out with friends? Are the bottles of Cristal flowing? Like, what do you do on that night after you win? So exactly what happened was this: I drove home. My wife was on the couch. <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise was on and Dancing with the Stars that we had to catch up on. So I literally went straight from that into Bachelor in Paradise and watched all the drama unfold on the beach. You're not you're not really that guy, are you? You're not the guy that's going to be drinking till four o'clock in the morning, going crazy at at Dre's nightclub, right? You're not really that guy. Here's the thing, right? I'm 48 now, right? <laughs> you know, when I was 23, 24, you know, when I won uh, in a tournament way back then, threw a big party at the Bellagio you know, huge feasts and alcohol and all that sort of thing. But like, you know, been there, done that. Right. And that's not the life that I lead anymore. Right. But yeah, you know, it's certainly not that guy. I never really was that guy, but I partook in the Vegas lifestyle for a moment. I once had a conversation with Antonio Esfandiari, the magician himself, and he had won a tournament. And then he told me he went over to a nightclub in Vegas and his table was right next to Kobe Bryant's table, the late Kobe Bryant. And they both spent like $300,000 on Cristal trying to outdo themselves. Um, and I said to myself, why? What's the point? Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, like different different strokes for different folks. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I never got into that stuff, man. I don't like the music. that. Like, I'm seeing Stone Temple Pilots in Vegas this weekend. That's my kind of music. I never really understood spending $30 a drink uh, or, or spending... Where are you? You go, you go to some cheap clubs? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's if I don't get a table. If you want a table at Dre's or if, if you, at, at any big-time nightclub, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars just to sit down. I don't know, Daniel. I never really understood that, but that's, that's just me. Maybe I'm old, too. That's just me. I, I don't know, but... Uh, before we get to some VGK hockey, you know, last time we spoke, we were talking about the Garrett Adelstein uh, and that whole situation and cheating scandal, alleged cheating scandal. Uh, some time has passed since then. Uh, I put your thoughts up on YouTube and it's got a ton of uh, listens because people care about what you have to say when it comes to a lot of stuff, especially poker. What are your thoughts on it now? It's been a little while. Have your opinions changed at all? Do you still think it's not cheating or it is cheating? What are your thoughts on that whole situation? Well, I think based on the information we have up to this point, nobody can say definitively either way. You can't be 100% either way, really, because there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that could potentially mean, you know, there's something going on, but there's nothing concrete, right? So I feel like she's sort of past that point of, um, you know, needing to prove herself at this point. The unfortunate thing for her, right? Imagine she's innocent, right? She's already dealt with all this stuff. And there's no way, there's no way she'll ever be able to prove her innocence the only thing that could be proven is guilt, right? If there are some whistleblowers and all that sort of stuff and everyone comes forward and says, this is what's going on, you know, then, uh, you know, she can be proven guilty. But she has no, but the people that think she's guilty, she can't prove to them that she's innocent. So she's already like, kind of like been smeared in the public eye. And I think that's, you know, at the, the person at fault there was Garrett himself for handling this in the way that he did. And he didn't just do it then. He doubled down, he tripled down. He's gone all in on this. And I think it's really a bad look for him. Have you had a chance to talk to Garrett after this? No, I, I haven't talked to him personally about it. He seems to be he seems to be really jaded about it. Like he actually put out a tweet and I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? He put out a tweet saying, guys, it's really important not to accuse people of cheating without hard evidence. So let's be better. I'm like, well, what? <laughs> Isn't that like, aren't you the worst perpetrator of that of anyone in the world? Yeah, and I saw that tweet, too. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Show me real evidence. Like, I'll tell you what's weird about this story, Daniel. And maybe you'll agree with me on this. 
If she just immediately said, hey, you know what? I misspared my hand or I thought I had a pair of threes or whatever. We wouldn't be talking about this, right? There would be no scandal there. And maybe there look, were, either way, you think so? You really think so? Yeah, there would have been anyway. I mean, the only th- if they would have split the pot, you know, and then like or he would have won both runouts, then maybe right. nobody would like go down that path. But like the bottom line is this, like, you know, a lot of sleuths are on the case right now to try and put two to two together and they're going to analyze the data to death. Um, but for me, one of the things that stick out is, you know, Bill Perkins, um, who's a wealthy guy and Herolibus Vulgaris, who was, you know, working for Dow, they put out $250,000 reward for anybody involved to come forward and, you know, be a whistleblower. Nobody did. Nobody bought. And I can't imagine people that are trying to steal 10 or 15,000 off a stack, given the opportunity to make 250,000, wouldn't come forward with information. So Very good that, point. That side, you know, that bodes well for her side. But again, there's conflicting there's it is really dramatic because there is a lot of like peculiar things around surrounding this you know well a yeah guy, yeah a guy fifteen thousand dollars that works in production off of her stack at the end of a session that's fishy right so there's a whole bunch of fishy stuff so it's not clear um but and i and i don't think it ever will be for people that believe that she cheated they're going to continue to do so and people that don't will stay in that camp two things that didn't help her based on her own behavior you tell me whether you agree or not number one giving the money back. I know she probably felt very pressured. And I know Garrett probably made her feel very uncomfortable and bullied her, which is wrong. That's number one, though. She shouldn't have given the money back. I understand she was probably put in a very difficult position. That's number one. Number two, if somebody steals, I don't care if it's $20 or $15,000, especially when they're an employee, you press charges because that is a thief. And I would also say once a thief, always a thief. That guy who stole 15000 will probably do it again. It won't be in that casino, but he'll do it again. I think those are two big mistakes that she made. Do you agree with that? Uh, so the second one, she did press charges. Oh, I didn't did. know that. Okay. Yeah, she didn't initially, but she ended up. Okay. I didn't know that. Good. As far as the first one goes, a lot of people, this is, this proves nothing like giving the money back. A lot of people go, why would she give the money back if she didn't cheat? I'm like, well, you know what? Why would she give the money back if she did cheat? Right. Right. If she actually was a cheater out there to steal money from people, right. The last thing you would do is raise suspicion by giving the money back and making it look like you're dirty. So for me, it proves nothing for me. It's, it's similar to what you were describing, which is just like flustered. I don't need the money. Like, I just want the controversy. I want the conflict to go away. We know this happens, for example, how many people per month, for example, commit, uh, admit to crimes they did not commit under duress and under pressure just because they want to make it stop. Sure, sure. Right? Here, take the money. Let's go back and play. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, no question. Uh, in the long run, this is probably not good for poker, though, right? It's bad for poker. Even though a lot of people are talking about it, this is probably not a positive, right? Yeah, there's a silver lining, I think, you know, in part, like what we've, what sort of spawned you know, another look at the security systems, you know, with the RFID cards and stuff like that to make sure going forward that every live stream that happens is, you know, even more secure than it was. Because maybe, you know, when it first was introduced years ago at the World Series of Poker, it was very protected. People were very paranoid. You know, there was one man behind a room, no, no, no phones, no anything. Right. And I think after time, it sort of got a little more lax, like more people are streaming and doing it this way. And hopefully this sort of whole thing, the silver lining will be, you know, increase security on these streams to ensure that like nothing bad can happen. I want to ask you, Daniel, about whole cards. Cause I remember when this first started, what tw- over 20 years ago, right? I remember, uh, I think it was the year where Chris Moneymaker won the world series of poker. Uh, they were just getting started at that time and showing whole cards. I remember Eric Seidel, great player, been around forever. He didn't want to show his whole cards and he made a big fuss about it. And there were other professionals that didn't. And I, and look, there were a lot of people that said, I don't want to people to see how I play so on and so forth, but it's, 
so un- important for, and I'm sure you would agree, for fans and poker fans to be able to see how players play certain hands. I'm curious, what were your thoughts when that first started? When And you were a big face of the game even back then when it first started. You were just getting going and you were making a name for yourself. What are your What were your thoughts on it back then and has it changed at all over the years or has it remained the same? Yeah, re- really it was. Eric Seidel, as you mentioned, pretty much the only one. But there were others who said, you know, I don't want people to see how I play and all this stuff. And I think ultimately, and I think it's sort of been proven that that was a short-sighted view, right? It was about me right now, not thinking about the greater good of the game and how to promote it. Because, you know, the World Series of Poker had been on ESPN and CBS before, but without the whole cards, it's very difficult to tell the story. It's, it's When you're watching the show, you want to see, you know, what people have and what they're going to do. It makes it more interesting and exciting. So I was always kind of for it, and I thought it could be like, a, or, you know, a unique wrinkle. And it's created sort of a new environment for poker players now in terms of study, right? In the old days, you kind of just think on yourself. Now you can actually study game film. So I can look over all the hands that a player plays and sort of come up with some uh, tendencies and things that I pick up on. Yeah. What did you make of uh, the new venue? I never really even asked you this question uh, about at Bally's in Paris, the World Series of Poker. My personal opinion is I didn't like walking back and forth and I, I kind of was so used to the Rio and, and that one hallway there. I'm just, I just wanted to get your overall impressions of the World Series of Poker, uh, minus that. Uh, incident that they had where you uh, where you messed up your hand and people got injured. That was an unfortunate situation, and I'm glad you're okay. But what did you make as a whole the new venue of the World Series of Poker? Are you for or against it? Well, here's the thing. Going into it, I love the Rio. The Rio is a perfect facility, the perfect place for it. Um, I had a lot of concerns, as did many, about parking, about traffic, about getting in and out. A lot of people thought that was going to be a huge problem. wasn't a problem at all. The facility itself, the temperature at the Rio, you often saw people bundled up with hoodies and scarves and whatever because it was freezing in there. Yeah. The temperature in Paris and Valleys, ideal. The walk back between Paris and Valleys is so rare. You don't really do it unless you're playing one tournament there one day and you're playing in the other spot another day. So that that worked out just fine. And overall, I gauged the success of it based on you know the other players, and, and they all seem to like it. They like the fact that it's more central, more options to eat. Um, and again, the concerns that we initially had, I went in with very low expectations, very low. And I was pleasantly surprised, as I think many were, that, you know, it, it actually worked for the first time ever. The World Series of Poker happened right on the strip. Daniel, do you think they give out way too many World Series of Poker bracelets these days? Because, you know, even the main event now, it's not what it once was, right? That was the big event. That was it. And now it's like there's so many tournaments where the buy-in is so much more and there's so many more prestigious events. And it, it seems to me that the main event isn't really the main event anymore. What do you think about uh, that? The main event is always going to be the main event. I don't think anything's ever going to supersede that. But as to your point about more bracelets, I think part of the reason that happened was COVID. So during COVID, you know, we wanted to have something, right? But you couldn't do anything live because everything was locked down. Right. So they had like an online series on WSOP.com here in Las Vegas and, you know, whatever. And then they had on GG Poker internationally, you had more World Series Poker events. So what happened was when World Series Poker came back live, we, we had the live series, but now we had these two spots with the online stuff that still took place as well as what I just got back from the World Series of Poker Europe. So yes, I think that we've gotten to the point where there are too many, but I do believe strongly that they're going to revert back to a system that just, you know, covets that pre the prestige. I think what you want to do now, maybe is if you're going to run series is that you want to have make the bracelet very special and run more world series poker circuit ring events, really like sort of the minor league version. Right? right. And when you, when you water down bracelets by having too many $400 online turbo bracelets, um, you know, that's problematic. But I, I do think that, uh, again, COVID was the reason for it. And I think it'll, 
it'll 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 rectify itself. Yeah, tend to tend to agree with you. All right, Real Kid Poker, Danny DeGrando joining us on the line. Danny, let's talk about one of your other passions besides poker. Of course, that's hockey. You and I uh, were at the game uh, last night. They played a very bad Arizona team. Uh, let's be honest, not very good. But I got to tell you, Daniel, uh, the first time I spoke to Cassidy, I was impressed with him. Uh, very well-spoken, very honest. He's got a little bit of gallant in him, too, when it comes to player accountability. But being a player's coach, he puts guys in the right positions. I think he is a much better coach as a whole, in my opinion, than Pete DeBoer. Uh, Pete DeBoer's won a lot of hockey games. I'm not going to say Pete DeBoer, not a good coach. I just like this guy. I think it was a good hire. I think Cassidy's the perfect guy for this team. And I know we're very early. But I really like what I've seen from the Vegas Golden Knights. I think Logan Thompson is is a proven starter in the NHL. Uh, and I, I just think this team is playing at a very high level. They're having fun. The chemistry seems to be better than last year, and they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, no, there's only one thing I would say that, you know, that I would disagree with when you said players coach. Like Bruce Cassidy he doesn't have the sort of moniker of being a players coach. He's one that holds them accountable, but he calls them out. Like the difference between Gallant was after a game, right. he wouldn't stick in a guy, but he but Bruce will. He'll be like, this guy screwed up. He didn't do this. Like he'll call him out and he'll yeah. do so publicly. As far as the system that he put in place, I like the zone defense a lot better. It makes for a very goalie friendly um, situation where we went into the season with, you know, arguably the worst tandem in the league. A lot of people thought so in Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, but because the uh, defensive system with the zone is, you know, really helps with rebound control and stuff like that. You know, we've seen them fit into the system really well and perform at a very high level. The team is very, very healthy right now. The only thing that concerns me, I would say is, when you look at the schedule so far, they did have a great road trip uh, on the East Coast, you know, in one five straight, came back. And I, I told people to bet against them the first game back. It's very typical for the first game back on a trip for guys to be a little lackadaisical. My biggest concern is so far their schedule has not been that tough, right? You know, how do they measure up against like the really tough teams of the league? You know, like the Colorados, the Tampas, now the New Jersey Devils who are tough to play against and the Leafs and, and whatnot they did well with. But, um, but yeah, so I think like going forward, you know, the team being healthy is key because if they're not, the thing is they're like one or two injuries away from being like really not that deep, right? Right. You know, right now it's kind of fragile. You have the top six, which is set, and then you have Kessel on the third line kind of playing with two guys, you know, and then the fourth line is pretty solid as well. The defense is as good as it gets with, the, you know, the six men they have back there. But again, one or two injuries and all of a sudden you're plugging and placing and, and the injuries are inevitable. We've been incredibly lucky this year. Like last year was insanely unlucky. Everyone got hurt. And this year we had like nobody get hurt. Nick Raw might be hurt like right now, but that's like minor compared to what we face. Speaking of somebody that rarely ever gets hurt, your friend Phil Castle, who I, by the way, love interviewing after games. He's, he's, he's a great guy to talk to. And I know you guys are close. I just cannot even imagine in our lifetime we will ever see anybody even come close to breaking what Phil Kessel has been able to do. A thousand games now played consecutively. I mean, he is the Cal Ripken Jr. times 10 when it comes to the NHL. It's unbelievable. I mean, obviously, you got to take care of your body, right? you got to take care of yourself. We know that he's played games when he hasn't been 100%. That had to have happened a plethora of times in his career. But how do you put this into words and perspective, Daniel? Phil Kessel, I mean, I asked him the other night. I said, how do you put this in perspective? He said, a lot of luck. But he's also a very modest guy. There's luck, but sometimes you got to create your own luck, too. How do you put this in perspective, this streak that Phil Kessel is on with consecutive games played? Yeah, well, certainly luck plays a role, right? Because like a, a random flying puck in the face, you know, anything right. could happen. COVID hit, he didn't get it, you know, during the season. But the thing, this, the statistic that people don't really realize how big of a deal this is, there's only been in the history of the NHL 372 players that have played 1,000 games total, right? This is a man who in his first, second year got cancer. Got, you know, he had cancer. And after cancer, went on this streak. And a lot of people, you know, sort of mocked like, you know, Phil Kessel not having the same sort of work ethic in the gym and all this kind of stuff. But like, 
there's plenty of funny stories about how he's just a beast. He's one of those freak anomalies that is just has core strength and lower body strength. That's like, you know, above all else. And he's also, I think if you watch him on the ice too, he's incredibly smart as a hockey player. Like he knows what areas are really dangerous and he's going to get hurt in and he avoids those. But more importantly, like I was, I was at the game last night. And I wanted people to realize this. I've been saying for years, the way to have a powerful power play that works is hot potato. Move that puck quickly, right? The issue, when you watch Kessel out there on the power play and his points per game per 60 on the power plays right there with Eichel, you know, he's at like one point per, per 60. Yeah. But when you watch him on the second unit, he does not dilly-dally with that puck. He doesn't hold the puck and look around. He makes a sharp pass. He's, he's, he's pushing these angles and things like that. It's very dynamic. And, you know, he's used to playing, obviously, in Pittsburgh with players like Crosby and Malkin who would finish on these chances or also play the hot potato style. I'd yeah. like to see the power play go even more towards that and be less about, you know, possession and perimeter. I do think the power play is much improved under Bruce Cassidy because DeBoer likes, you know, that sort of spray and pray style from the point. But the forwards going down low, holding the puck, I think has been, you know, beneficial for the power play. But I really still wish that as a whole, the, the, the majority of the units start to play more hot potato like Phil is doing. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And by the way, uh, Burns is at 696 consecutive games. He is the closest to that. I don't think that's going to be broken, uh, but we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But um, I'm glad that Phil Kessel was signed here. I think he brings that veteran leadership. I know he does. Uh, likeable guy in the locker room. Let's talk about another likable guy in the locker room, a guy that... Uh, is doing a little bit better than I thought he would, and that's Logan Thompson. Let's talk about the goaltending position. First of all, he jokes around with the guys, great camaraderie. He's very confident for somebody that just, listen, he was playing in the AHL last year at this time. He's a very confident guy, uh, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, we got two goaltenders now that are playing at a very, very high level, higher than expected. What are your thoughts on Logan Thompson, the goaltending position right now, and where we're at? Okay, so I should say that before the season started, I made a bold prediction that by Christmas, Aiden Hill was going to win the starting job. And that's only because I'm, and that's nothing, that's not a knock on Logan. It's, it's just, I've always been very high on Aiden Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, Aiden Hill was playing in really bad situations, you know, in San Jose and Arizona behind really bad teams. Yep. He's still posting the numbers. And I think both these goalies actually fit in. Actually, Aiden Hill probably even more so fits into the system that Bruce Cassidy employs with the, with the, with his own defense. Yep. But Logan's been great. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's top five or top 10 in goals saved above expectation. Aiden Hill doesn't get as many minutes. So he's not, you know, on that list, but like his numbers are, are both are, are great. So right so far, the goaltending is like more than held up. Like I said, going in, you know, you ranked the tandems and it was difficult to find a more unproven tandem. Now, right. remember, Logan Thompson comes into the season with like 19 starts. That usually doesn't bode well, like having an absolute rookie goalie who's, you know, people don't have a book on yet, really, but they're starting to develop one. You know, we'll see how the length of the season wears on. I like that Bruce Cassidy is kind of going with like 60-40 split where they're sort of sharing the net. I think most teams in the NHL are going that way now, mostly tandem-based. Like, you rarely see – you're never going to see goalies, I don't think, again, play 70 games. Right. You know, 60-40 is, is the reason. Agree. It's, 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 it's gruesome. I mean, I mean, it's like you, the goalie position, it doesn't look like it's exhausting, but it's incredibly – you lose like 5 to 10 pounds wearing yeah. that stuff. And mentally. You can't, you can't take two seconds off. You know, you're on a shift – yeah, you could say to yourself, you take mentally a couple seconds off, you could cost your team a goal. But if you're a goaltender, it's even more important. You can't take really any time off uh, as a goalie. No question about that. All right, let me ask you this. Assuming, and it's a big assumption, that this team remains healthy. And again, that is a very big assumption. Is it fair to say to you think that this team could contend for a Stanley Cup? Because I'm not ready to say that yet. They're definitely a playoff team. They could definitely win some games and win some series in the playoffs. 
I'm not ready yet to say that this team is an elite team that can contend for a Stanley Cup. What do you say? Uh, listen, contend is, you know, sort of a vague word in a sense. And I think obviously with the start that they've had already, I think, you know, that puts them in a position where they, they should be able to contend, right? Now, again, the real test, as far as I'm concerned, is, is what is it going to look like through the tougher parts of the schedule? They've done a really good job of beating it for the most part outside of like San Jose and St. Louis that we just lost to. They've done a really good job of beating the teams that we're supposed to beat, yep. right? But can we beat Colorado? Can we beat, right. you know, higher up echelon teams in, mm-hmm. you know, in the conference? The Western Conference is a little more wide open this year. It's not quite as strong as it was, you know, last year, the year before. And the East is pretty dominant. So, you know, the pathway is a little maybe potentially easier um, than it was. So I, I think they could contend. But again, the number one thing, the number one factor for Vegas in order for them to be able to contend is staying healthy. If you lost Eichel, right. for example, you've got major problems. If you lose Petrangelo or Theodore, that, that's another big problem. Even Alec Martinez, you know, because yep. right now that top six is as good as like I, I was a couple other coaches in the league said our bottom six our bottom two is the best in the league with White Cloud and Haig. No other team in the league really can boast like the bottom two being that strong. Agree. Yeah, agree. It was nice to see Stone get a goal yesterday. Uh, unbelievable hand coordination, whipping that puck in the air. And we all know how good Eichel is. I mean, when you watch Eichel on the power play, He's like a magician with the puck. I don't even know how else to describe it. He's like nobody else in the league. I mean, there's very few that can do what he does. Uh, they're a fun team to watch. And, and like I said, I like Cassidy a lot. Uh, and I think they made a great hire there. Pretty much the opposite of the Raiders hire, but we can talk about that for <laughs> on another day. What do you got going on in the future here, man? What's your poker schedule looking like, Daniel? What, what events you got going on here in the next week? Yeah. Well, before I get to that, the Eichel thing. Yeah. I, when Buffalo came to town, I would always tell people, so watch this guy <laughs> on three on three. Watch yeah. Eichel on three. He's yeah. a cheat code. He is like on three on three. I put him up there as like the best forward you will find. He's a freak. He's so dynamic three on three. His eye hand coordination is something like I've never seen. He's a freak with the puck. Just give these guys a little bit of open ice and you could actually see how skilled they are. Eichel is a freak with the puck and he's always worth the price of admission. No, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, right. So then as far as poker goes, I just came back from Europe. And uh, I'll be taking a, well, I don't know, about a week or two off. And then I'm going to be playing at the po- Poker Go studio at Aria. And then um, in, later in December, there is a huge event at the Win with a $15 million guarantee. Oh. They've been promoting the hell out of it. And the Win is a nice place to play. And then we have the, the PGT uh, Championship, which is the Poker Go Tour uh, Championship. It's for the top 21 point getters throughout the season, throughout the year. And um, I've squeaked my way into number 20 right now. So I know I need to get probably 200, 300 more points. And I'll be doing that every day at the Aria trying to grind and get my way in that. Cause it sounds like a lot of the fun, uh, that event. It's well, a free roll, 500,000 bucks. Why oh, not? nice. I have, I have, I have no doubt that you'll, you'll definitely get there. Have you had any time to play golf during all this? I haven't golfed at all. Wow. And ever since my hand, but yeah. I'm, I'm supposed to shoot something. Uh, that's golf related and I'm like I haven't hit a ball in a year and this is going to be very embarrassing so no don't uh, say that I'm not in my house right now because my house had mold and I had to move out and I have a simulator in my house but now I'm in this rental place and I don't have a simulator here your house had mold how does that happen were Bad- you getting sick Bad- badly yeah it was <sighs> killing us me and my wife for a long time uh, we found the worst kinds of mold in our house that's awful uh, we found a great guy who's done a great job and he said after he's done with this house you'll be able to operate in it so there's a word for that that's called a bad beat <laughs> That might it be the word. Everywhere. <laughs> and I started to feel it really bad. Like, yeah. Luckily, I had one of these recovery apps with my Apple Watch and stuff, this app called Athletic, mm-hmm. similar to the Whoop or whatever. And I noticed every day I wasn't even working out and it says you overtrained. I'm like, I didn't do anything, you know, and it was consistent. And all wow. of a sudden, I'm like, what's going on? I went to Korea for five days and said my recovery is perfect. 
And then I went home and it says, nope, you overtrained. And like, okay, put two and two together. Something's up. With I'm just now. curious. What are the symptoms like? Like, cause, cause a lot of people don't know, like what, what, what happens to you when you have a lot of mold in your house? Well, there's a lot of different symptoms. One can be headaches. Yeah. One can be shortness of breath. One can be feeling like chest congestion, you know, things like that. Wow. Um, like lack of energy, fatigue, that sort of thing. And that's what I was feeling. My wife had been feeling it for a lot longer. She usually spends time in a different part of the house. And I sort of just dismissed it as like, you know, women things. Right. <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> But then I realized, like, you know, when I experienced it myself, I'm like, this is bad. And right. luckily we had a guy do just, you know, he took all the samples to the lab and he found, you know, unfortunately he found the worst kind of mold, the black mold. The, I don't remember the name of it, but, you know, so I would say this, if you, I would highly recommend anybody listening to get either the Whoop or the Aura or one of these apps that track your, you know, your, your, your health each day. Cause sometimes you'll find, cause I didn't feel bad the first couple of weeks, but my numbers were bad. I'm like, this is peculiar. And then it started to progress to get worse. And we put two and two together and realized Something's up with the house. Like people have died from this. Brittany Murphy, oh remember God. the actress? Yes. She died because of this. I didn't know that. I thought it was a drug overdose or something with her. That was mold in her. Oh my God. That's awful. I didn't know that. Well, geez, I'm, that's serious. I'm glad you and your wife, you and your wife are doing okay now. You're all right. Much better. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, being here a week, uh, you already noticed the difference. Wow. Oh my God. Well, I'm happy to hear you guys are doing better. I had no idea. That's terrible, man. That's, that's actually really scary, but I'm glad you guys are doing better now. Daniel, always a pleasure having you on. It's been a little while and I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm sure we'll talk hockey, uh, Next after we'll talk, because I heard you, I was listening before. We'll talk more about the Elon Musk stuff. Yes. I'm deep into those streets. Let's do that. Maybe next week or after the holidays, maybe after the holidays, let's, let's have a little talk about Elon Musk and Twitter and social media and all that stuff. Daniel, it's always a pleasure having you on, my friend. You're always one of my favorite guests. I appreciate your time as always. Have a great weekend and have a good holiday if I don't talk to you. Okay. All right, man. Same back at you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. That's Daniel Negreanu. Man, that's some scary stuff, dude. Uh, the, uh, mold in his house. And I didn't know Brittany Murphy died of that. I had no idea. I thought it was an overdose or something. Holy crap. I guess that means everywhere I go, I'm around mold because I'm always lethargic and tired and don't feel like doing anything and lazy. So I guess, I guess the KSHP studios have mold. Well, actually that might be true. I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe we can find out about that. I don't know, but I'm always lethargic. So maybe my car has mold in it. Maybe my apartment has mold in it everywhere I go. I don't know. I'll check that out. But anyway, I'm glad Daniel and uh, his wife are doing better and uh, always a pleasure having him on. Appreciate Daniel joining us on the show. All right, folks, that's a wrap. We will see you on Monday. I'm headed to watch some college basketball action at T-Mobile Arena. I hope everybody has a very safe and happy weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Have a great day, everybody.